Good morning. Good morning and welcome to chapel. I have two words. Spring break. My name is Bob Yoder, one of the campus pastors here. I want to extend a welcome to any guests that are here. To begin our chapel, I invite you to take a look at the PowerPoint for the next couple of minutes. The focus of our chapel this morning invites us to look inward. Last week's chapel, if you were not here, focused on struggling with God's people, an imperfect church. This chapel is deeply personal, is a deeply personal look at our own selves, giving attention to struggling with imperfection, perfectionism. In this chapel, we are invited to look inward at our souls, to look inward to those places of struggle, self-judgment, and flaw. This chapel invites us to be honest with ourselves, even when that may be uncomfortable and painful. And hopefully by the end of this chapel, you will experience God's loving grace and mercy and healing. And by the end of this chapel, may you be rest assured in the loving grace of God that abounds, the love that God lavishly showers on all of us. Let us pray together. Our lives are cluttered, Lord Jesus, by too many things and too much to do. We are driven by the need to succeed and distracted by our service. We have often lost our way. Forgive us. Let us, like Mary, find the one thing that is needed and sit at your feet. Come, Lord, work upon us, set us on fire and clasp us close. Be fragrant to us. Draw us to your loveliness. Let us love. Let us run to you. Amen. Good morning. <laughs> okay. um, for our first song, please turn to number 106 in the green hymnal. Just a closer walk with thee, number 106.
In several areas of my life, a lot of the time, I am a perfectionist. Many of my friends, family members, and teachers can probably attest to this. I have been a perfectionist since I was very young, and I imagine I will continue to be a perfectionist to a certain degree for the rest of my life. I have come to accept this. And really, it's not so bad. My perfectionism often manifests itself as a personality quirk that, while not necessarily desirable, may perhaps be endearing. The compulsion to second-guess and triple-check, the thorough and thoroughly excessive responses to short-answer questions on a quiz, the careful, deliberate, plotting approach to a new task. I like to think of these characters, characteristics as more ridiculous than tragic. And as some of the quotations from the opening PowerPoint suggested, there's actually something to be said for some perfectionistic traits. The attention to detail, commitment to quality, and high standards that perfectionists embrace are surely responsible for some of our greatest advancements in science, business, ethics, and art. But of course, perfectionism has a truly dark side with which many of us are all too familiar. Stress, anxiety, paralyzing feelings of inadequacy, burnout, depression, all of these can emerge from our obsession with an unattainable, non-existent perfection and from our refusal to embrace our perfectly human, perfectly wonderful imperfection. As I consider what it means to respond to God's grace as an imperfect, self-judging person, I think of several unhelpful modes of thinking that I often get trapped in in my worst perfectionistic moments. I would imagine many of you can identify with some of these modes of thinking. These are the harmful, ugly stories we tell ourselves about who we are and what we ought to be, stories that propagate the myth of perfection and shut us off from God's offered grace, stories that begin with, I'm not good enough, or failure isn't an option, or I'm letting people down. When these stories dominate our thoughts, we desperately need to hear new stories, life-giving stories that free us from our self-judgment and move us toward more helpful modes of thinking. I'm convinced that, good, that the good stories come in many forms, music, scripture, time in nature, conversations with friends. There are endless resources. I've discovered that for me, some of the most helpful stories are found in the poetic words of others. And so I'd like to share with you a few of the poems that have served as life-giving antidotes to my unhelpful modes of thinking. In response to the harmful story that says, you have to be astounding at everything, all the time, shining bright as an example to all, comes a poem by John Tagliabue. It is called, Moderation is not a negation of intensity, but helps avoid monotony. <clears throat> Will you stop for a while? Stop trying to pull yourself together for some clear meaning, some momentary summary. No one can have poetry or dances, prayers or climaxes all day. The ordinary blankness of little dramatic consciousness is good for the health sometimes. Only Dostoevsky can be Dostoevskian at such long, long, tumultuous stretches. Look what that intensity did to poor great Van Gogh. Linger, lunge, scrounge, and be stupid. That doesn't take much centering of one's forces. As wise Whitman said, lounge and invite the soul. 
get enough sleep. And not only because, as Cocteau said, poetry is the literature of sleep. Be a dumbbell for a few minutes at least. We don't want Sunday church bells ringing constantly. In response to the story that tells us our imperfect humanness can't possibly be good enough, that we are hopelessly inadequate, comes a poem by Barbara K. Olson, which reminds us that God, perfect divine love, chose to live as one of us and to embrace our messy humanness. The poem is called, Away in a Manger. The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Bah humbug. True God made babe, bewails the warm womb lost. Hungry, screams and gropes for mother milk. True God made child, once will his own. In tears, surrenders to another. True God made man, weeps bitterly for friend death stole sobs silently at Simon's loud rejection. True God made Christ in blood sweat groans that cup be taken from him. On cruel cross with throat dry cries, asks why good God has son forsaken. And I'd like to end with a poem that challenges one of the ugliest stories we tell ourselves, the story that demands moral and spiritual perfection, leaving us lost and afraid of failing in an unforgiving world. The poem is Wild Geese by Mary Oliver. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. Now please turn to um, number 557 in your blue hymnal worship book, O God in Restless Living, number 557.
Does Jesus desire Christians to be without flaw? When Jesus said, follow me, was he setting the bar so high that he expected a life possible without mistakes? After all, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Perfectionism. Is perfectionism an acceptable expression of following after Christ? Is perfectionism what Jesus would wish for all of us? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This verse comes at the end of Matthew chapter 5. The opening chapter of the three chapters often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes, and you'll remember. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And so on. Then in verses 13 to 16, Jesus describes his followers as being salt and light in God's reign on this earth. Then the next snippet of verses, starting in verse 17, are about the law and the prophets. Jesus says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. Then what follows is a series of six snippets. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, statements of Jesus. Verse 21, you've heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. Then verse 27, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The next four, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, snippets, deal with divorce, swearing falsely about people, vengeance, and loving one's enemy. In these snippets, it seems that Jesus really ups the ante. He seems to raise the bar of expectations from the old way of faithful living to a newer and perhaps more difficult way of faithful living. And then to top it off, Jesus concludes the chapter, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Is Jesus calling us to a life of perfectionism that reaches for seemingly impossible standards? Growing up, I heard these passages, particularly the one about be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, as good Christians should strive to be without sin and without flaw. And if I did flaw or sin, then I was not like God in heaven and would be in danger of dire consequences. This obviously shaped my view and understanding of God. Not necessarily a bad view or a bad image, but perhaps not the most mature understanding of God. One thing was for sure. This all helped me feel guilty a lot and fearful that I might get zapped if I flawed 
ever so slightly. It wasn't until my later 20s, studying at seminary, taking courses in biblical Greek, that I gained a new appreciation of biblical perfection, particularly in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. The use of the word perfect can be translated a couple of different ways. Being fulfilled, coming to maturity, well-rounded, to make complete. And rather than understanding that Jesus is calling me to be without flaw, as my heavenly Father is without flaw, it took on more of a become mature, well-rounded, complete, as my heavenly parent is in that way. In fact, back in verse 17 of this chapter, where Jesus talks about the law and the prophets and kicks off the series of six, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, snippets, Jesus indicates that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And the Greek word there is a synonym to the word at the end of the chapter. And so they kind of serve like bookends of this passage. In other words, Jesus came to bring about the law's maturity, its well-roundedness. In Jesus' day, the religious leaders and community seemed to pay more attention to the legalisms of certain laws and often possessed a attitude of, how can I bend the law without breaking it? In that process, many people got hurt and suffered oppression because they were not given opportunity to live into the law's intentions and fullest blessings. And so Jesus came onto the scene saying, but I say to you, he wanted to bring the people into the fullest, mature, and perfectly good intentions of the law so that the people of God can live into the fullest and richest blessings of such a mature life, a well-rounded life. This was a key aspect of the good news of Jesus, his message, and his actions. Perfectionism. Based on this passage of be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, do I believe that Jesus is calling us to live a life without flaw, without failure in our own life in order to gain the richest blessings of the reign of God? Not so much. Not that I do not believe that Jesus wishes for us to sin, but I do believe that in times when we have flawed, when we have failed, when we have sinned, that we can experience the richness of God's blessings for us all. We can learn from our mistakes. This is all part of the maturing process of becoming complete, of becoming well-rounded. And God will continue to lavishly shower us with love and grace and mercy. But we must also posture ourselves in such a way that we can receive and live into those fullest and richest of blessings. As a campus counselor at Goshen College, I have the privilege of meeting with students in a confidential setting and hearing your questions, your concerns, your struggles, as you seek to understand more about yourselves and your purpose in this world. It is often with tears that a student will share their discouragement with self. 
Deep down inside, they feel so broken and unworthy. No one else would even guess they struggle with this because they work really hard to act like everything is just fine. But they carry a continual burden of feeling inadequate, not deserving love, and tremendous guilt. They do lots of comparing themselves with others, and they always come up being less smart or being less fun or being less capable. Where do we get this distorted sense of who we should be? Who is this perfect person that we strive to be like? Many people struggle with this actually throughout life. I don't think it'll end when you're done with college. Um, and we need to be reminded frequently of what a gift each person is to the world around them. Several Mondays ago, we had a convo that emphasized how important it was to be a part of each other's lives, to like encourage each other, support each other, to remind each other of your importance. But I actually believe it's also really crucial that we remind ourselves that we're a very special gift to the world around us. No, we're not like everybody else, and we're definitely not perfect. We're pretty messed up. But we are a gift in who we are, in all of our struggles and all of our imperfections. God made each of us, and I believe God knows that we're messed up. But I believe God knows um, us and he loves us anyhow. There is nothing we can do to make God love us more, and there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. God loves us because God made us, and God is delighted in who we are working to become. I often ask students, what is it that they need to be reminded of? What is it that they need to hear? And we write it on a note card to be hung somewhere they can see it frequently. This week, a student thoughtfully said, I really need to be reminded that I am a child of God, that I am beautiful, and that I am loved. Wow. We all need to be reminded of this every day that you are a child of God, that you are beautiful, and that you are loved. Today we will be closing with a time of anointing. Anointing can have a variety of purposes, offering up your fears, your anxieties, your stress, seeking God's peace and healing in your life. I invite you today to also use it as a time to just be reminded that you are beautiful and you are loved. You are a gift from God just as you are. Bob, Tamara, and I will be available in front and two places in the double aisles in the back. There will also be a table set up, sit right over there, okay, um, where students can anoint each other. Remember, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. You are beloved and a beautiful child of God. We will also be singing several hymns throughout this anointing time. And the first number comes from the Purple Book, number 49, I Will Come to You in the Silence, number 49. 
next song is from the Green Book, number 81. Take or take me as I am, number 81 from the Green Book. Next number is also from the same book, number 105, Don't Be Afraid, number 105. Thank you. 
Our final number comes from the Blue Book, number 121, Nothing is Lost on the Breath of God. I invite you to... Oh, it's Purple Book. This is not green, sorry. <laughs> number 121. And I invite all of you to stand for this last song. of grace and of love. As we go from this place and into our break, we are grateful that your loving spirit goes with us. Open our eyes to your beauty all around us. Open our eyes to the beauty within each one of us. And may this coming week be filled with rest and renewal, 
We ask all of these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.